What drives one person to violence and another to peace? What works to reduce violent behaviours in conflict areas? Welcome to the Breaking Cycles of Conflict mini-series for the War Studies podcast, where we share our groundbreaking research on how traumas can drive violent and peaceful behaviour in conflict zones. This research is being carried out as part of the Cross-Border Conflict, Evidence, Policy and Trends Research Programme, otherwise known as ACCEPT, which is a UK international development funded project that aims to inform policies and programmes that support long-lasting peace. In this episode, Dr Craig Larkin speaks to Bronte Phillips about how past experiences of conflict are affecting the way people in Lebanon are responding to the current escalation between Hezbollah and Israel. Hi, I'm uh, Dr. Craig Larkin, a research lead for memory and conflict for the EXEP project. I'm also a reader in Middle East politics and conflict and peace studies and director of the Center for the Study of Divided Societies at the Department of War Studies. Hi, I'm Bronte Phillips. I'm a researcher and PhD student in the Department of War Studies at King's College London. My PhD focuses on conflict memory in Lebanon. And for my PhD research, I interview young people in Lebanon about how they interact with, formulate and resist martyrdom discourses. Thank you, Bronte. We're recording this podcast episode in the middle of January 2024. It's been three months since the Hamas attacks on the 7th of October and Israel's bombardment and military offensive in Gaza, in which 25,000 mostly civilians have been killed and there still remain over 100 Israeli hostages held captive. The Israel-Hamas war is also leading to an exacerbation of hostilities across the region. There's fears of a second front opening in Lebanon as fighting between Israel and Hezbollah continue. Most recently, uh, it was calculated 508 rockets have been fired from Hezbollah from Lebanese territory. 2,036 Israeli strikes have targeted homes, Hezbollah operatives, Hamas leaders, but also killing Lebanese journalists and civilians. Throughout the wider region, Shia Iranian-sponsored militias have been targeting U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria. The U.S. and U.K. have been carrying out strikes in Yemen in response to Houthi attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea. But we're here today to talk specifically about Lebanon and how the experience and memories of past conflict are affecting the way in which people are responding to the current escalation. Bronte's PhD, as you mentioned, explores memory and violence in Lebanon, and you're recently just back from a field trip in Lebanon, so perhaps you could explain to us what's happening in Lebanon since the start of the Israel-Hamas war and give us an overview of the current situation. Yeah, so the day after Operation Al-Aqsa flood, so on the 8th of October, Hezbollah, a militant and political organisation in Lebanon, began a campaign against Israel along Israel's northern border, starting with firing guided rockets and artillery shells at Israeli positions in the disputed Shiba farms. And in response, the Israeli Defence Forces fired artillery shells and a drone into southern Lebanon. Subsequent military action has included the use of white phosphorus shells by Israel, Um, the shooting down of Israeli drones by Hezbollah, Israeli shelling of border villages, and military escalation continues with some plateaus up to to the situation that we have now. As a result, over 150 people have died. Approximately 76,000 civilians in South Lebanon have been forced to flee. 
Um, and this military escalation has also been accompanied by an escalation in violent threatening messaging from both the Hezbollah and Israeli side warning against further escalation. Until January this year, the escalation in the conflict at the border was really localised to the southern part of Lebanon and the northern border of Israel, with both sides fearing the cost of an all-out war. But like, like the rhetoric, the scale of the conflict is now slowly escalating. So on the 2nd of January, uh, there was an Israeli airstrike in Dahia, which is an area of South Beirut, in which a senior Hamas official um, called Saleh al-Aruri was killed. This was not only an act labelled as a red line by Hezbollah, but it marked the first Israeli attack in Beirut really since the war in 2006 between the two countries, and also highlighted the intelligence and military capabilities of Israel to conduct operations inside Lebanon. And then on the 8th of January, in another Israeli assassination operation, um, Wissam Hassan Atawil, a commander in Hezbollah's Radwan force, which is the force deployed along the border with Israel, was killed in his hometown, which is also close to the border. It's important to understand, though, that this current escalation between Hezbollah and Israel outside of its relation to what is happening in Gaza and the West Bank has, has not incur occurred within a vacuum and conflict between Hezbollah and Israel has been ongoing for a long time. Yeah, thank you, Bronte. I agree. It's very worrying to see this escalation, particularly to see the targeting of Lebanese villages that deserted at the south, but also Israeli strikes furthermore into to Lebanon trying to take out Hezbollah operatives. I mean, this is in keeping with Israel's strikes in Syria and Damascus, but also targeting of Iranian militia. So the question mark is really whether Hezbollah will not be drawn further into an, an out-and-out conflict. But I'm curious, Bronte, what do you think civilians in Lebanon, how do they see this, this current confrontation? Do they see it as a continuation of a past conflict, or is this very much a new phase or a new fight? So being conscious that I'm not in a position to obviously speak for all people in Lebanon. Um, so this comes with the caveat that the views that I'm about to express come from my own experience speaking to people, predominantly young people in Lebanon, and from studying political developments in the region. I'm certainly not intending to make generalising descriptions about what people um, think and feel. But I think what we can say is that it's important to recognise that the responses of the Lebanese population to this conflict are, are certainly not homogenous, and that lived memory of populations in Lebanon are very different in terms of how they perceive the current conflict, depending on, on their own experiences. But I would say that 2006 and the war between Lebanon and Israel um, is certainly a defining moment in how people are understanding the current escalation, because really that's 2006 is is known by many analysts as as an unfinished war. So the United Nations Security Resolution, which came about at the end of that escalation, marked a ceasefire rather than an end to a conflict. And since then, there has been numerous exchanges at that border. The most notable prior to this current escalation was in April last year when Hezbollah fired 30 rockets into Israel. And so um, I think the result of this on the Lebanese population is that many Lebanese have experienced the consequences of aerial bombardment in their lifetimes and the far-reaching consequences of 2006. And 
I think a lot of responses to the current escalation are are parsed in those terms that even I think from the Lebanese perspective, many of Israel's high-level statements threatening military action from inside Lebanese territory are, are used as a deliberate method of psychological warfare. So using the memory of 2006 to deter further escalation on the side of Hezbollah. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you, Bronte. I think there is a danger in conflating Lebanese voices and opinion, but there seems to be, in my reading, very little appetite for a wider renewal of hostilities with Israel. There is very much broader public fear that further escalation will lead lead to Hezbollah's involvement in conflict in, in Israel. And speaking to Lebanese friend, there is also a sense of powerlessness, a disillusionment with local politics, and also a sense of helplessness that they're not able to control the current situation and whether they have got any agency or ability to stop their country being dragged into another bloody conflict, depending on Netanyahu or Nasrallah's uh, rationale. But shifting from the present, how do you think Lebanese remember previous conflicts with Israel? What is the difference in the way the remembrance perhaps is different from uh, a Beiruti perspective compared to someone who lives closer to the border? Yeah, I think... Certainly in the case of if we're looking at 2006, um, that conflict had a much more widespread effect on the country than the current escalation, if not in terms of aerial bombardment of the south and also of Beirut, also the economic damage as a result. Something in the region of a million people were displaced during that conflict, and that's something that many people in, in Lebanon have lived experience of. But I suppose the difference in the way it might be remembered from the perspective of a Beiruti versus someone living close to the border is that the South, or a Janoub as it's referred to in Lebanon, has a very distinct cultural and political identity. It was occupied by Israel from 1985 until 2000. So the memories of those living there and their reflections on Israel are very different amongst those living in the South. There is this feeling of, of a, a desire for vengeance from that time, although I certainly think you're you're completely right that there is a strong feeling that people in Lebanon are not so interested in Lebanon becoming involved in in another conflict, or as you say, being involved in a conflict that has limited relation to them and their daily lives. Um, there was a petition that circulated quite early on uh, in October against Lebanon getting, quote, dragged into another cycle of destruction and bloodshed. And even recently, um, with the cyber attack on Beirut airport by a Christian extremist group called uh, Janoud Arab, hacking into airport screens with this message warning Hezbollah against further intervention and further involvement with Israel. You know, I think it's very interesting to, to think about the fragmented ways of Lebanese remember that 2006 war and perhaps the lessons that will that will be heated for this ongoing conflict because I think the 2006 war affected Lebanese differently and is remembered differently. Although it brought like a national cohesion around collective suffering and displacement, I remember you know thousands from the south that that fled up to the mountains to villages that were hosted, you know predominantly perhaps Shia uh, displacement, but were hosted in Christian and Sunni. Villages, so there was this collective 
sharing among among the communities and also this national feeling of resilience that Israel was once again the common enemy and there was solidarity against an Israeli onslaught but very quickly that dissipated into also longer term anger and frustration that arguably Hezbollah had precipitated the Israeli 2006 war and this also exacerbated political divisions when we think of March 14 March 8 and those political cleavages that came out of it was also to do with the question of the Lebanese state and, and Hezbollah's role and position within that state. So coming back to the current escalation with Israel, what impact is this conflict having on a day-to-day effect in, in life in Lebanon? I think that question um is really interesting, but it's important to situate it within the current context of not only this kind of expectation or anticipation of future conflict where there is this lack of resolution along the southern border and in terms of Hezbollah's role or possible future escalation in terms of conflict with Israel, but also in terms of the general continuation of violence within Beirut and instability, really key moments from even from October 2019 with the with the uprising um, and then the explosion of the port in Beirut in 2020. Violence is something which has become normalized, is anticipated and is expected. And I think that's certainly is informing responses now. So this continual escalation has to an extent become normalized. Uh, I think a lot of people, at least that I've spoken to in conducting interviews in Lebanon, feel like there's a not only as a helplessness, which you mentioned earlier, but also a sense of not being able to plan for the future or to live life kind of suspended, waiting for the next update or news. And you see that that's kind of expectation being punctuated by particular moments such as these recent assassinations. You know, I think, I mean, this idea and, and very evident reality that Lebanese are caught in a state of perpetual anxiety and stress and limbo is so true. I mean, it, even coming from the end of the civil war, the idea of rebuilding a Lebanese society, but very much on the precipice that there could be future violence. So, I agree the Israeli escalation is only one component of other destabilizing factors that have not been resolved within Lebanese society, but also regionally. The Syrian conflict, ongoing tensions there, and the effect this has on uh, the refugee, the Syrian refugee community within Lebanon, which is still probably around a million people, the economic problems that beset Lebanese politics, the fact that there's no agreement over a presidential candidate and the country is in a continual gridlock. So I think the failure of Lebanese politics further exacerbates this tension, this this idea of being in a space of perpetual flux where nothing is resolved, that the state cannot move forward. And in fact, it is just awaiting uh, some type of regional stabilizing feature when in fact regionally it's further de-escalation so this is very problematic for Lebanese domestic politics but also for local society how 
Do they grind their everyday life whenever there is no stability, whenever there is no optimism economically, where the, where the prospect of war is affecting tourism, is affecting Lebanese returning uh, to Lebanon? So I think this is just adding to the ongoing problems for Lebanon and perhaps increasing increasing Lebanese migration away from Lebanon. Now, we already touched perhaps a little bit on this lack of appetite uh, in Lebanon for a war with Israel. How do you read the current situation? How do past experiences of conflict shape Lebanese attitudes in the present? Yeah, so I think we've talked about how experiences of 2006 are mirroring and informing uh, responses now. I think it's also important to recognise in terms of discussing this question about uh, appetite for a war with Israel is that many Lebanese people are, at least from, from the interviews I've had, are very conscious that we're not in the same place as 2006. Um, economically, Lebanon has been suffering from a crisis since 2019. Um, and in addition to that, Hezbollah and Israel are not in the same place as 2006. Both sides have significantly upgraded their military potential and capabilities. So I think there's an expectation that any further escalation is likely to be much more devastating in its impact than 2006. And economically, in terms of what would rebuilding look like after any potential further escalation, Already, it's it's damaged it's damaging Lebanon, and particularly it's damaging for those who live in the south and for those who are evacuating. Areas outside of the south have been experiencing huge rent increases from between twenty to fifty percent, which has led to many people being priced out of where they live simply due to those owning properties recognizing that there will be an influx of people moving away from that border. Yeah, well, that's very true. We see. A situation of demographic flux. I was also struck, I think, with how the violence and the images that are coming out of Gaza, the debates in the ICJ over potential Israeli genocide, is also awakening Lebanese memories of violence at the hands of Israel, whether it's the 1982 invasion, massacre of Sabra Shatila in the Palestinian camp, the occupation for 20 years in the south of Lebanon, 96 strike on the UN compound in Kana or the July war. There's this idea and fear of violence being revisited again. And there's an, a renegotiation of, I think, that same trauma of being unable to stop it, of being targeted, and also perhaps Western apathy. You know, it's very clear in speaking to Lebanese friends and colleagues that there's anger that is really aggression, but there is also a deep bitterness and sense of betrayal at the international community, that in fact, they're not intervening in any way. There's no form of protection. And many Lebanese feel, I feel, they're, they're being held hostage again to regional politics. They have no agency to change the historical trajectory. And much like the civil war, that many feel it was a war that was fought on their own territory, that if another war comes, that it is somewhat out of their hands. So there's this question of, of the revisiting of violence and, and what it actually means in, in the Lebanese imagination presently. But I wonder, are these differing responses to the past 
and current conflict, is this leading to tensions among the Lebanese population? I think it certainly is. Although this hasn't taken the form of violent conflict amongst groups of the Lebanese population, it's certainly exacerbated and also problematized existing divisions. I would say on your point of feelings and memories of, of former experiences of violence at the hands of Israel um, and how that's being articulated by people in Lebanon, that many in Lebanon do feel very connected to the suffering of Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank. And there are groups of those in Lebanon, both supporters of Hezbollah and, and not, who do advocate for further military action by Hezbollah on this basis of humanitarian intervention. Of course, those in the South are experiencing immediate physical threats. And there is this sense of, I think, you mentioned Western apathy, but I think there has been a tendency for a long time to otherize the South or Genoub as as kind of um, almost a different country. Of that's, that's a problem for the South. And this is a conflict which is isolated to the South rather than a conflict which, which is a Lebanese war, if we are to use that word. And certainly there is there is an opposition also, particularly among those who perceive Palestinian communities in Lebanon to have caused problems for the country past and present, and that Lebanon is is paying the price for wars which aren't to do with them. Maybe, I mean, just thinking in the future, where do you think this current escalation, what do you think it actually means for, for Lebanese politics or, or the direction of the country? So without um, going into... Um, any particular political speculation, because I don't think that's that's necessarily what I'm here to do. Uh, international and local discourse surrounding the escalation, as, as well as developments on the ground, will all shape the way in which the current escalation is experienced by Lebanon's diverse communities in the present, as well as the way in which it will be understood in the future. I'd say the political landscape of Lebanon is, is such that it, it certainly doesn't form a homogenous group uh, and large-scale political decision-making is mostly guided by individual stakeholders. I mean, we saw this in McCurty's response to Israel and, and being asked to um, stop Hezbollah from, from further escalation. He responded, it's up to Israel to stop provoking Hezbollah. So especially in terms of memorialization as well, it's quite difficult for us to tell what that's going to look like in the collective memory of Lebanon or collective memories of Lebanon whilst the escalation is is continuing. Short term, that's certainly not a situation which is going to go away, but in fact it's becoming normalised as well as institutionalised. The escalation is already being incorporated into an ongoing narrative of violence. So those nightclubs, universities, venues, restaurants that were closed or, or were, were certainly closed at, at pivotal moments um, when an escalation was expected are now open as normal. And in fact, in December, Hezbollah announced a creation of a new military unit specifically to respond to the current escalation known as the Al-Aqsa flood vanguards. And this is against a backdrop of relative lack of activity by the Lebanese government, as well as efforts to provide shelter to those fleeing and, and prepare for an escalation. So I think that's prompting a great deal of anxiety as well. Uh, long term, what we might see as a result of this is emboldening of Hezbollah, really as seen after the 2006 war with Israel. Further military action 
might result in a reinvigoration of their position as part of the axis of resistance and as well as um, an entrenchment of their position as protectors of Lebanon, which could result in further um, repression of those who, who question them. And what that means for Lebanese as a whole is increasingly polarised regional identities, particularly those which detract from a centralised sentiment of national unity. So many different ideas about what Lebanon is and what Lebanon stands for will be questioned in the months to come. Yeah, thank you, Bronte. I, I totally agree. Where it's always very difficult and dangerous to predict Lebanese future and uh, future trajectories. Uh, you know, perhaps I would say that we won't see a direct new front, that this will not escalate into a total war, but will feed into ongoing hostilities and periodic exchanges, particularly if Israel increased the targeting of Hezbollah operatives, not just in the south, but in Beirut, we may see more immediate responses by Hezbollah across the border. But up until this time, both Iran and Hezbollah, I think, have been reluctant to escalate the conflict. And in fact, they've left it to the Yemeni Houthis to play the major role. Now, this, I would argue, doesn't guarantee any future stability for Lebanon but forestalls and complicates their dealing with existential questions. So not only is this really to do with the conflict between Lebanon and, and Israel, but the conflict within Lebanon itself over the political system or the failure of power sharing and the inability to function as a, as a proper political capacity, but also the Lebanese state sovereignty and what Hezbollah's role is within the state. You know, what we've seen, 10 years of conflict in Syria, Hezbollah have further entrenched and built uh, their capacity militarily fighting guerrilla warfare, and it, it puts them in a very different position, and they are very much a renewed threat to Israel, not just in Lebanon, but across the border in Syria. So while there's a proliferation of Shia militias in the Golan and the, and the south of Syria, there's going to be increased instability and future escalation. Okay, I think we will end our conversation there. Bronte, it's been great to speak uh, to you on this really interesting topic, and I'm sure we will have further discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been really interesting. You've been listening to the Breaking Cycles of Conflict mini-series for the War Studies podcast. This episode was produced and edited by Clara May from the Accept Research Programme at King's College London. To find out more about Accept, please visit the link in the episode description. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on your preferred podcast provider. It really helps us reach more listeners. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the War Studies podcast.